Today for Pentecost Sunday, our sermon is Spirit-Filled Believers Spread the News. Spirit-Filled Believers Spread the News. If you've ever been around people who actually love someone else, they simply cannot help but tell you about that person. Been around somebody who loves something like if they love baseball, they'll have to tell you about baseball eventually. If they love the Bulldogs, they'll have to tell you about the Bulldogs. If they're grandparents who love their grandchildren, they're going to show you some pictures and tell you about those grandchildren. In the same way, we also see this deeper truth that bridges into, indeed, the gift of eternal life, that anyone who truly knows Jesus and is saved in him, who loves him, therefore, anyone who knows Jesus, you know, you've been around folks that actually are Christian, right, that actually love Jesus. They cannot help but eventually talk to you about Jesus and talk to you about him, their faith, and his word. They bear fruit. So also today, the message is that spirit-filled believers spread the news. It's going to happen. It does happen in their homes, with their children, their grandchildren, other people they love, in their neighborhood, in the world around them. Spirit-filled believers spread the news. We are learning this truth from God's amazing prophecies through the prophet Isaiah. And one of these truths is this. We've seen the way when you get to the second main portion of Isaiah, we focused on this from uh, the, the close of Lynn heading into Holy Week all the way through up until around now, the fact that there are messages of God's own son fulfilling the role of the servant who's going to save or redeem Israel, and indeed not just Israel, but all God's people, all those who are called to salvation unto the Lord, and that the servant ultimately will be wed to and will bring about by his ministry the true Zion of God, the bride of the Lord. What uh, we read prophesied in about in uh, Revelation 21, that the, the new Jerusalem will come down as a bride adorned for her groom. So, so all of this is going to happen, but, but listen to this. Today we focus on this truth, that servants of Jesus are joined into his service to the world. In other words, we have the servant, the Savior, and anyone who actually believes in him and is joined with him by his Holy Spirit is compelled and impelled and empowered to engage in his mission to the world. So there is an ongoing unity of servants of the Lord, of actual Christians who are born again in the Spirit, with the mission of the servant. So today, we're going to be turning to some passages of Scripture from Isaiah that are incredibly powerful prophecies relating to the day of Pentecost and moving beyond Pentecost to our mission and our call to redemption in the world. First of all, Isaiah chapter 32, verses 14 through 18 and to set the stage here, let me tell you that Isaiah 32, hopefully we'll be able to return to this passage later, but Isaiah 32, after a series of woes and messages of woe from God to Judah, because Judah is looking to Egypt to deal with Assyria as opposed to looking to God, okay? after a series of woes, we get a couple of beholds. 
And in Isaiah, I can tell you this, when you see behold, that's like good news. That's the opposite of woes. And, and we get a behold at the beginning of chapter 32, and there's a message about the messianic king and kingdom of the one who, not like the current leaders, will walk in righteousness. But then all of a sudden you get into some verses and the current people are simply not trusting in the Lord. They're not looking for the way of the Messiah. And so at the tail end of this, we get verse 14. And then verse 15 is going to be the Pentecost prophecy. For the palace is forsaken, the populous city deserted. In other words, geographical Jerusalem is going down. And the, kings, and the king and the queen are going down because the palace is going to be forsaken. So your current leadership is gone. For the palace is forsaken, the populous city deserted, the hill and the watchtower will become dens forever, a joy of wild donkeys, a pasture of flocks. There's wild animals running through the palace and the country club section of Jerusalem. It's not good. But, verse 15, until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness, the desert, becomes a fruitful field. And the fruitful field is deemed a forest. Then justice will dwell in the desert, in the wilderness, and righteousness abide in the fruitful field. And the effect of righteousness will be shalom, peace. And the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. Not all is chasing after other nations. My people will abide in peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. And then to Isaiah chapter 44, verses 1 through 5. In other words, here in between the first servant song of Isaiah 42 and the second servant song of Isaiah 49. Here we are, 44, 1 through 5. But now hear, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant. Yeshurun, personal intimate name for Jacob. Yeshurun, whom I have chosen. Verse 3. For I will pour water upon the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your seed, your offspring, and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass and like willows by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call on the name of Jacob and another will write on his hand, the Lord's and name himself by the name of Israel. And then to Isaiah 49, verse 6. We've turned to this before. God willing, we will actually do a sermon that is focused on the second servant song, but this key verse turning point I've already highlighted for you over the last couple months several times. we got to go back to it today for Pentecost Sunday. God is speaking to the servant who's going to redeem Israel. God is speaking. He says, verse 6, he, God, says to the servant, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you the ultimate servant. I will make you as a light for the nations, for the goyim, for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. 
So bearing in mind Isaiah 32, Isaiah 44, Isaiah 49, 6, we turn to the preparation for Pentecost and the Lord Jesus preparing the church for Pentecost in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. And while staying with them, while Jesus, the risen Jesus, before his ascension to heaven, staying with the disciples, continued to teach them during the 40-day period, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. What is the promise of the Father? Hmm. Which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth, Isaiah 49, 6, right? To the end of of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. So from these scriptures, several main points we are reminded by God's word. Number one, the command, hear God and fear not. But these are trying times, pastor. And 2020 was horrible between COVID and shutdowns and everybody freaking out, worried about their health and existence and, and all kinds of political up, uproar and you know, division and riots out in the streets and everything. And 2021 doesn't look that much better, does it? Uh, so how can you tell me to fear not? And what I'm telling you is this, God commands you, don't be afraid. It's not a suggestion. It's not a, oh, you nice little thing. Let me kind of comfort you for a minute. It is a direct command from God. Hear him. Stop listening to the world and all the world that flows through the social media. Hear God and fear not. And here's the message. By his grace, do you believe in God? Do you believe God is this powerful? He is, okay? By his grace, God can love back to life dead people. Let me repeat that. God is powerful enough to love back to life dead people. You mean my brother who's so messed up? Yeah, God can love him back to death. You mean somebody who's actually dead and buried? Oh, yeah, he raises the dead. God can bring back dead people. God can love into life a dead and desert city like Jerusalem. It's overrun by the Babylonians, right? God, God can make something new happen. And God can love back to life an entire defiled nation like Israel, the northern, and even Judah, the southern. And wait a minute, do you mean even the United States? Yes, it might even be possible. Um, Isaiah 44, verses 1 through the beginning of verse 3. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you, and remember, I've highlighted this already in Isaiah. Um, the, the word, the verb for form, yatsar, appears after appearing in Genesis. All of a sudden, it's a lot 
in the second part of Isaiah. And God is saying, not only did I make you, just like in Genesis, right? Genesis 1 and 2, but I also formed you, like God formed the man from the dust, okay? So it's really personal, really intimate. Um, who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant. Yeshurun, whom I have chosen, for I will pour water on the dry land. But it's dry, Lord. Things look bad. I know. I'm going to pour water on the dry land. But can anything grow? Yes, I can make it grow. But wait a minute, our current leadership is all messed up. Can you relate to this at all? <laughs> the current leadership in Judah was all messed up. And, 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 and God, through Isaiah, is already showing him this palace is going down. This line of David is going down. This alignment with, with Egypt, it's not going to work well. And you, Jerusalem may survive by a slim thread, Assyria, but then it's going to go down under Babylon. You know, I, I, God's bringing all this through Isaiah. But nevertheless, in the midst of all this, with the palace deserted, God is going to pour out his spirit on dry land. So fear not. God can raise the dead, number one. Okay? Number two, um, God saves and blesses Abraham's seed by the gift of the Holy Spirit. God saves and blesses Abraham's seed by the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you are with me on Wednesday nights, you're already highly focused on this, and I've mentioned it here in this Isaiah series as well. The seed language is critically important to understanding the entire Bible, to understanding the Old Testament, to understanding the covenant and God's promises. And in the New Testament, we learn that as God made promises to Abraham about his seed, his in the Hebrew, it's Zerah, that everybody who believes, whether Jew or Gentile, is a seed of Abraham. And through Jesus, all the promises to Abraham are given to everybody who believes in Jesus, okay? In this world and in the age to come. So, God saves and blesses Abraham's seed, and that means all believers, by the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's go back to the promises to Abraham. I've just pulled out and highlighted one. We could also go to 15 and 17 of Genesis, but, but let's go to kind of the great climax in Genesis 22. After Abraham has prepared to sacrifice his son, his only son, Yitzhak, or Isaac, to the Lord, and the Lord brings deliverance, God says this, Genesis 22:18. And in your seed, in your Zarah, in your seed, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Remember back in Genesis 12 and then following, God is telling Abraham, um, I'm going to bless you and through you all the nations, all the peoples will be blessed. Well, this it's going to come about not through literal Abraham, okay, but through his seed, through his descendants. And so God promises, Genesis 22, 18, shall all the nations of the earth, all the nations of the earth, be blessed through your seed because you have obeyed me. Now let's connect Genesis 22, 18 with what we just read in Isaiah 44, 3. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams, of, uh, streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit. Look at this. I will pour my spirit upon your, see it, 
Zerah, see. All the way back to the covenant promises to Abraham, running through Isaiah 44, 3, and on to Pentecost, and all of us who are Christian, in other words, Pentecostal Christians. There it is. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring, your seed, and my blessing upon your descendants. I will bless you, and everybody who blesses you, I will bless. And those who curse you, I will curse. There it is, running all the way through the Bible. Um, in case we missed it in the Old Testament, the Apostle Paul wants to make this abundantly clear. So in the midst of explaining the gospel to us in the book, in the letter to the church at Galatia in Galatians 3.14, let me show it to you again. Galatians 3.14. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, remember him, the whole covenant story through so that the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that's all the nations, so that we might receive the promised spirit. Do you see it? There it is. We are the seed, and we receive the promised spirit. Through faith. Paul knows. Paul knew that this was essential. I mean, this is, you're talking about people who kind of believe on paper, and say a few words on paper, and people who are actually born again, alive in the Holy Spirit and sent forth in mission. There is a huge difference. You know what? The devil believes that God exists. The devil might be able to say a piece of paper, right? So when Paul comes to Ephesus, uh, Acts 19, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus, and he found some disciples, but these are pre-cross and resurrection and Pentecost disciples, right? Acts 19.1, there he found some disciples. And what's his first question? What's your question? If you're involved in ministry, if you actually, you know, are evangelizing people, what's the question? Oh, yeah, sure, I believe in that stuff. Yeah, I've read about Jesus. Okay, look, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Acts 19.2. And then they say, no, we didn't even realize there was a Holy Spirit. We just kind of believe some doctrine about Jesus. And we were baptized in the baptism of John the Baptist. They haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit yet. <laughs> the crux of the matter of all the sweep of the call of the gospel. So the servant, the Messiah, shares his mission with us, and he gives us this promise. If you have any love bones in your body, right, you're not just worried about yourself, you're worried about future. If you have children, grandchildren, you're concerned about them, right? Even if you don't have literal biological children and grandchildren, if you're a Christian, you're concerned about the future generations of the church, right? And listen to this, God is assuring us of the future for, again, like with Abraham, your seed. Now, now this command to fear not actually becomes a major theme in the second part of Isaiah, we've already hit upon it a couple times during this series, particularly in the last few weeks. Let me remind you of where we see this. In Isaiah 41, chapter 41, verse 10, fear not. Why? Why does God command us to fear not? Because I'm with you and I'm going to help you. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And again, Isaiah 41, 14, fear not, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. 
Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. And then over to Isaiah 43, again the commands, fear not, fear not. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not. Why not this time? Because I've redeemed you. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. You will go through. You're going to have challenges. But I'm going to be with you. I've already named you. I've claimed you. I've redeemed you. And then listen to this. Verse 5, 43, verse 5. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your, guess what? Seed, offspring. I will bring your offspring, your Zerah, from the east and from the west, and I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up. Come on. I want all my children. Bring them all in. I'm forming Zion. The redemption is at hand. It's happening. This is why God says fear not, and you don't have to be worried about the future. So number three, in the risen and ascended Jesus, who has been exalted to the right hand of the Father on high? Isaiah 52, 13. Believers receive the Father's promise, baptism with the Holy Spirit. This is what all the New Testament is talking about. This is what the gospel is about. What does God promise to give us? Our kids being one of the smartest kids in school, a new car, a great business deal, a nice swimming pool. Is that the big deal that we get from Jesus coming to save us and God pouring out gifts on us. No, you remember when Jesus says pray because your father loves you and if an earthly father loves you, think how much more the father will give you and what is the prize that Jesus talks about? How much more will the father not give you what? The Holy Spirit, right? So here it is. Um, Luke 24, 49. Jesus, the risen Jesus, preparing his disciples for his going to heaven says this, and behold, I am sending what? the promise of the Father upon you. What is the promise of the Father? But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The promise of the Father, Luke 24, 49, is the pouring out of the Holy Spirit so that you will be clothed with power to engage in my mission. Remember back to the gospel story? John the Baptist comes baptizing just from Mark 1, 7, and 8, and he preached saying, after me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will do what? What's Jesus's, the, the center of Jesus's mission? He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And Matthew adds that John also said, and with fire. Now, over to Acts chapter 1 again. He ordered them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for what? You already know the language by now, right? The promise of the Father. What is the promise of the Father, folks? It's the Holy Spirit that we might be born again by the Holy Spirit and filled with the Holy Spirit and sent to proclaim his good news. You will be baptized for the promise of the Father. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. That's what happens at Pentecost. And here's what's going on. Remember I talked last Sunday on Ascension Sunday about Jesus being enthroned, exalted to the right hand of God on high, and that he intercedes for us? That was one of my big emphases last Sunday. Well, now let me give you another one from the enthronement of Jesus. In the ancient Near East and in the ancient world, 
New kings, new emperors who are enthroned give gifts to their people. Jesus, enthroned, gives coronation gifts. And guess what his coronation gift is to you? The Holy Spirit. Peter got it exactly right at the apex of the Pentecost sermon. Acts 2, 33. Acts 2, 33. Here it is. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. He's at the right hand of God. And having received from the Father, what? We've already been talking about this, right? The promise of the Holy Spirit. He, Jesus, has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Peter is saying it's happened. The coronation gift is given. The Father has given Jesus the promise, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus has poured it out. And you might say to me, but wait a minute, Pastor. You just read a bunch of passages where the Father gives the promise and the Holy Spirit. And now Peter is saying Jesus pours out the Spirit. And my answer to you is yes, absolutely both. Isn't it wonderful that we are in the Western tradition of the church, which on this issue definitely got it right over the Eastern Right In the Nicene Creed, the Filioque Clause, you guys remember this, right? That the Holy Spirit comes from both. Yes, the Western Church, the Catholic Church, and all the Protestants that follow and train on the Nicene Creed, this is exactly right because it's scriptural. The Holy Spirit is given by the Father and the Son. And our union with God is complete in the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There it is right there. So again, in the risen and ascended Jesus, exalted at God's right hand, believers received the Father's promise by the Holy Spirit being given through the Son, Jesus. How should we pray for each other? How should we pray for people we love, for the church? Well, Paul teaches us. We get a big insight in Ephesians chapter 1, picking up at verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give you an easy life. Is that what Paul prays? Will help you so you won't get sick next week. Is that Paul's main prayer for them? No, look at this. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That's the Holy Spirit. The spirit of wisdom and revelation in personally knowing Jesus. And he did this because Christ has been raised from the dead and seated at his right hand. That's verse 20 of that same passage from Ephesians chapter 1. So forth, God can and will, God can and he shall fill any vessel he forms. God does not waste his time. If he has saved you, he has formed you, and he will fill you. There is no vessel in the Christian church that's not filled by the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian, you are filled by the Holy Spirit. You are moved by the Holy Spirit. He can and he will fill, fill, not put a little drop in. He will fill every vessel. God does not waste his time. He saved you. If you're born again in his spirit, he will fill you. Isaiah 44, 2 and 3. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb, and then on to the key part, I will pour my spirit upon your seed and my blessing upon your descendants. Isaiah 32, 15, until the spirit is poured upon us from on high, 
So, our response. Spirit-filled believers know God and spread the news. Spirit-filled believers know God and spread the news. So what should we do? Here's some responses. First, pray for, receive, have your heart turn toward God and ready to receive and be replenished and live in the Holy Spirit. The spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. That's what you want to pray for every day. Fill me, Lord, by your spirit. But wait a minute, shouldn't I pray for a bonus or that the stock market does well today or that I don't get sick from that flu that's been going around? And you can pray for that if you want to, but the big deal, folks, is this. If you love your children, your grandchildren, you can pray that they get a hit in the ball game, I guess, if you want to. But come on, folks, let's, let's focus on the main priority of prayer. Pray that they will be filled with the Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom and knowledge, of revelation and knowing God. Pray for that. But wait a minute. Um, there's a lot of noise out there in social media that's distracting me. Exactly. Focus on God. Talk to him that your mind and your heart and that your household's orientation would be toward God instead of all that mess that's going on around us. Okay? So pray for that. Go back to Ephesians 1. Pray that over people you love and people maybe who are your enemies too. Secondly, spread your news and knowledge of Jesus as an active ambassador, an active ambassador of his grace. What would you think if I said, well, you know, we appointed an ambassador to um, London, but he or she never showed up. And, or they got there and just kind of went shopping and didn't really do anything. They ate some good food. That wouldn't be much of an ambassador. Would it? I mean, he, he sent us as ambassador. He is, we are his witnesses. The people that you meet this week, their opportunity to know and hear about Jesus is through you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Yeah, but that's just kind of for like Maddie and people who are going overseas. No, 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 in Jerusalem. We don't do it at home. We don't do it in our own homes and in our own neighborhoods. It's ridiculous to be talking about overseas. You got to do both. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. Wait a minute. The Samaritans don't like the Jews, and we don't like them. Should we go to them too? Yeah, exactly. Yes, please. Yes, absolutely. I'm commanding it. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then look what happens. 44.5, Isaiah 44.5, this one will say, I am the Lord's. Don't you love being around a Christian who's excited about the Lord? Isn't it awesome? This is what happens. This is what happens when people are born again and filled by the Holy Spirit. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Write it on their hands. It's going to be obvious. But wait a minute. Christianity isn't popular right now with the current, you know, trend of our society. So what? All the more so. The servant, the Messiah shares his mission with us. And you know how Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and then he says to the church, you are the light of the world? Well, which one is it? And again, I'm telling you, yeah, exactly, it's both, right? You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nobody lights a lamp and hides it under a bushel basket. Come on. So, here it is. This is key. Acts 13. I've come to this before. I've definitely come to this on Wednesday nights, talking about the whole sweep of the Bible in the Old Testament. But you've got to just know this. After preaching at Pisidian Antioch, and I love that 
summary of the sermon that Luke gives, but look at the aftermath here. Paul and Barnabas spoke boldly saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. This is to the Jewish synagogue at Antioch, Pisidian. Uh, Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For the Lord has commanded us get this, Paul and Barnabas are quoting Isaiah 49, 6, which is about the servant. And they're saying the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light to the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Do you hear how bold Paul is there? The command is to the Messiah, the servant, Isaiah 49, 6. But it's also to us. Conversely, when Paul was persecuting the church, what is Jesus on the road to Damascus, say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Because in other words, there is total unity between Christ and his body in our ministry in the mission of Christ. So Luke 24, 46 through 49, he said to them, thus it is written, the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. Jesus didn't go do that personally, physically on the earth. He sends us. And behold, I'm sending the promise of the Father so that you can be clothed with power from on high. So finally, be joined with his witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Sometimes people ask me, why are we so concerned about foreign mission? Or why are we concerned about local mission? Those people ought to be able to help themselves. I'm telling you, God has commanded it. And if we're going to be Christian, if we're going to be Pentecostal Christian, we are connected. Oh, I know we're not denominationally Pentecostal, but anybody who's actually a Christian, I'm telling you folks, is Pentecostal Christian because we are born again by the Holy Spirit and we are called in his spirit to be joined with his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, to all the nations. And then finally, to close this just beautiful image from the closing chapter of Isaiah 66, verse 18 and then 21. The time is coming to gather all nations and all tongues. Do you hear that Pentecost? And then 21, and they shall come and see my glory. And some of them, now these are Gentiles, this is incredible. Some of them I will take for priests and Levites, says the Lord. Wait a minute, Gentiles are gonna be priests in the Holy Zion? Exactly. All different colors, all different backgrounds. Be engaged. Pray for the Holy Spirit. And tell who Jesus is to the world, to your house, and to your neighborhood. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.